On the night of July 4, 1899, the townspeople of Windsor, Colorado, took to its streets to watch their flower mill burn. The town was so tiny back then, built around wheat farming and railroad tracks, and only a few hundred people called it home. It didn't have the amenities of growing towns like Fort Collins, and it definitely was no Denver. But it had rolling farmland, wheat, and because of that, a pretty impressive flour mill. Until July 4th, 1899, that is. Like I said, crowds formed that night and into the next morning as people gathered around to watch the imposing structure burn. There was nothing to be done back then, but wait, and eventually, rebuild. And they did. The Windsor Mill was rebuilt that year, and stood on the eastern edge of town ever since. It was a flour and feed mill for almost a century after that, and after being decimated by a 2008 tornado, it sat torn apart and vacant for seven years. But a new life was on the horizon for the old Windsor Mill. Purchased in 2015, it was the center of a multi-million dollar rehabilitation project. Until last month when, in the early morning hours of August 6th, the townspeople of Windsor stood in its streets and watched their mill burn, again. Like after the blaze of 1899, people are asking what's next, sure, but they also have another big question. Who set it on fire? I'm Erin Udell, and you're listening to The Way It Was, Episode 7, The Scorched and yeah, star-crossed history of the old Windsor Mill. Turn left onto 6th Street, then the destination is on your right. So, this is me driving to Windsor, which I've actually done a lot. As you may know, I cover arts, entertainment, and culture for the Coloradoan up in Fort Collins. But my first journalism job was actually down in Windsor at the Coloradoan sister paper, the Windsor Beacon. Like the town it serves, the beacon is pretty small, and to my delight, steeped in history. We used to have this newsroom off of Main Street in Windsor, and it was in a fairly old building. It actually used to be the town bank. Because of that, it had this super neat, dusty old bank vault in the middle of it, and that's where we kept our archives. Basically, each edition of the newspaper, stretching back more than 100 years, has been saved and bound together in these giant books, like comically large books. Think Hogwarts's library. Anyway, my all-time favorite thing to do at the Beacon was go through those books. Our archives always offered a sort of window into the history, heart, and soul of Windsor. Over the years, Windsor has grown and changed a lot. In 1899, when the town's first mill burned, there were just about 300 residents. From 2000 to 2010, the population nearly doubled to 18,000 people, and now there's almost 25,000. Windsor is home to a lot of retirees and families, 
And with its close proximity to Fort Collins, Greeley, and even Denver, it's become one of the front ranges up and coming bedroom communities. The rolling farmland of Old Windsor still exists, sure, but now there's also rolling golf course greens and ritzy housing developments, even a drive through Starbucks. There are pieces of Windsor that haven't changed though, reminders of its small town roots, and one of those was always the Windsor Mill. Like I said, the mill was rebuilt in 1899. When it burned that first time, the beacon called it the pride of the community. The pride of the community goes up in smoke, the headline read. It was a great loss to the mill's owners, sure, but the article went on to say that it was an even greater loss for the town and the area's farmers. The mill was a pretty big operation back in those days, especially for a town the size of Windsor, and it was something its people were proud of. When it was rebuilt, the new mill continued its legacy as a local landmark and also served as a reminder of progress in architecture and agriculture. Instead of an old wooden flour mill, this one was made to last, carefully constructed with brick, tile, and steel. It remained a mill until 1990, and ownership changed hands a bit over the years. After the 2008 tornado severely damaged the mill, fencing went up around it and it kind of went into limbo. I covered Windsor Town Board in 2012 and 2013, and I remember many meetings where the ownership and future of the Windsor Mill were brought up. Back then, it was owned by a man named Ron Lauer, and when I talked to him years ago, I remember him kind of waffling between wanting to sell it and wanting to keep it. He ultimately sold it to Blue Ocean Enterprises, a Fort Collins-based development company. They bought the building last year and planned a sweeping $10 million redevelopment of the site with talks of a brew pub, restaurant, and office space. This was huge for Windsor. One of its local landmarks would be in use once again. Like the days when trucks would sputter to and from the mill, the town would be somewhat whole. Which makes this all the more sad that that's further off than ever now. Blue Ocean said they'll do something with the property, they own it, but that's an unknown right now. One of the many unknowns that surround this local landmark. Anyway, you guys are probably super tired of hearing my voice, so I'll stop talking. Um, I just wanted to let you know that I know Windsor, or at least I knew it, and I know how much this building meant to the community while I was there. But back to me driving. I do know how to get to Windsor, by the way, but I'd never been to the Windsor Severance Fire Museum. Hence, series help. In 700 feet, the destination is on your right, 121 North 6th Street. Opened in 2010, the Windsor Severance Fire Museum is located north of Main Street, just across the town's railroad tracks. It has old fire engines and firefighting equipment, and Dan Lowe. When, um someone had wanted to report a fire, they would pull a fire alarm box. And we'll just turn the system on, and I'm going to let you pull a fire alarm box. Oh my gosh, okay. That's Dan, the museum's curator, and he's showing me what an alarm would sound like to firefighters around the 1940s. I asked Dan what it would be like to fight a fire back in 1899, the year Windsor's first mill burned, and he said, well, they wouldn't have fought it. You see, 
1899 was a very different time. And as a 90s kid, well-versed in the tragedies of the Oregon Trail computer game, I know that people died all the time. It was the Old West, so houses burned, people got sick, disasters just happened. Here's Dan again to lay out what exactly Windsor was like back at the turn of the century and what that meant for fighting fires. Okay, so the fire, the fire was July 4th, 1899, and um, it was a working mill. They're producing 300 barrels of um, flour a day in that mill. They're running 24 hours a day. Um, the mill was primarily wood. Um, we didn't have a fire department in town then. The fire department started in uh, 1902. Phones didn't start until 1900. Uh, electricity wasn't until 1907. Uh, water hydrants, they didn't even think about those until 1901. So there was n absolutely nothing here. So how was that fire? Do you know how that fire was fought at all? No, they didn't do anything. Oh, they just let it burn out? That's correct. Okay. Um, if they could have, they could have organized a fire brigade using buckets. But that requires some organization. Like horses drawing these? Well, no, the horses wouldn't have been involved. It would have been human power. Oh, okay. They would have had to have a cistern and buckets. But with, with a structure fire of that magnitude, a bucket brigade is not going to do anything to put that fire out. You need appliances to, to put that fire out. So they just stood there and watched it burn. Back in those days, Dan went on to say, the main action people would take during a fire would be to run in and save people's stuff. Again, Oregon Trail kids, people didn't have a lot of things back then, remember? Then, of course, they'd try to prevent the fire from jumping to neighboring roofs or houses. By the time Windsor did get its first fire department in 1902, it consisted of one hose cart, a 550-foot length of hose and nozzle, two axes, and four buckets. Things are a bit different now. Just say your names. Sure. Corey Tope. Travis Grins, Ian Gordon, Dustin Cresswell. Okay, and so you were all there um, the night, early morning of the Windsor Fire. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, That's Windsor Severance Fire Rescue's B-Shift firefighters. They were on duty at Station 1 the morning of August 6th, when the first call came in around 1.49 a.m. There was a commercial structure on fire at 301 Main Street. It was the mill. Yeah, so we, um, the, the medics had just cleared uh, a lift assist or a medical call early that morning and we were out helping them with it and as we were coming back from that call they got on the radio to say that they saw what they thought was a flare-up from an oil rig um, and we, we couldn't see it from our location we had just pulled back into the station um, stepped it on the front pad and we could see the glow of the fire over the top of the trees um, and we're you know several blocks away from from where the mill is at that's firefighter Corey Tope. Um, so we, we jumped into the engine and, and we headed out even before we had dispatch tones on it. Um, and I think the most incredible part of it was just pulling onto Main Street and still being, you know, four or five blocks away and seeing flame links over 100 feet in the air. That, that's 100 feet, including the, length, the height of the building. But, um, when we were going down the street, we, we knew that it was going to be a defensive fire. I mean, we've never, you know, it's a career fire for us. We haven't seen anything like that in as long as I've been here in 15 years. Um, but, you know, we pulled up on scene and you could feel the heat through the windshield and through rolled up windows from, I don't know, how far are we, 60 feet away from it at first? 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we stopped and we hit a hydrant, laid our own line in um, to establish water supply and really just got to work putting the biggest lines that we could into service, which is our, our deck gun, our master stream, um, a ground monitor, and then two, two and a half lines. And I think all told we had about um, 1,750 gallons a minute coming off our engine and it didn't even touch it. It was doing hardly any effect. The deck gun, I think, was probably the most beneficial tool that we were using, but it was, it was pretty incredible um, just to feel the heat, um, to see the amount of that building that was involved. We, we try really hard not to say that things are fully involved. Um, that can kind of you know, put people into a different mindset when they're showing up on a fire, but this one truly was fully involved. I mean, it was the, the entire building was on fire. Because of the fire scale, all on-duty Windsor Severance firefighters were called to it, as were departments in neighboring towns like Eaton, Milliken, Johnstown, Loveland, Poudre Fire Authority in Fort Collins, and Berthoud. And, like in 1899, Windsor residents started filtering to the area to watch their beloved landmark burn. Oh, God. It's just falling apart right in front of us. The roof is the next thing that you, I, you can hear crashing. This is so crazy. Oh my God. All told, it was an active fire for around four to five hours, the firefighters said. And B-Shift was on the scene for about 12. Here's firefighter Ian Gordon. It went very well. Yeah. There was no hiccups. There was no equipment failures. Yeah. There were no injuries. Um, those are the kind of things that we can kind of walk away from and think, you know, it was a terrible loss. But on our end, from a firefighting perspective, it was, I mean, I don't want to use the word success, but it was a successful extinguishment of a fire okay. w without any injuries. And then um, we didn't lose any equipment, anything like that. Okay. So. That's also what Fire Chief Herb Brady told me. If you're going to fight a fire of this magnitude, this is a good outcome. No injuries, no loss of life, and no spreading of the fire to nearby structures. Sure, it was devastating to the building, but at the end of the day, it's just bricks and wood. And sure, a little history, but still, it's just a building. Chief Brady responded with his department that night. Here he is. Most of the calls are handled by the on-duty staff, mm -hmm. but when it's of that size, everyone comes in. It's all hands on deck, and, and I responded in um, with everyone else, mm -hmm. and I was part of the uh, support of the operation. And how long have you been fire chief? Seven years. So how does this fire compare to what you've seen in previous years? Well, here in Windsor, it's the largest. Okay. Yes. Um, and since you're fire chief, I'm sure when you're in the grocery store and, and people see you, they've come up to you and do you get a lot of that from people oh, yes. in town? Okay. All the time. Okay. All the time. So much I would go shop for groceries elsewhere sometimes. And <laughs> what do they say? What do they ask? Well, they, they want to know what happened and, yeah. and, um, and we all want to know. Mm -hmm. But these things take time. By these things, he means fire investigations. More specifically, in this case, an arson investigation. More on that after this break. You're listening to The Way It Was, a history podcast brought to you by the Coloradoans Facebook Messenger Alerts. Would you like to be the first to know when news breaks in Northern Colorado? 
Or are you more of an entertainment junkie who would love to see the best options of things to do this weekend? Sign up for the Coloradoans Alerts on Facebook Messenger for a truly customized news experience. Visit facebook.com slash coloradoan and send us a message to get started. Good morning, everyone. Thank you all for coming again. My name is Debbie Livingston. I'm the Special Agent in Charge of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, Denver Field Division. This is a clip from a press conference held in Windsor one week after the fire. And if you didn't catch her name, that's Debbie Livingston, a special agent with the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, the ATF. The ATF deployed 30 investigators and even a canine helper to Windsor to determine what happened that morning. Since Monday, agents and members of the ATF's national response team and local investigators have conducted an extensive investigation at the scene and in the local area. It was hard work, and I am very impressed by the level of professionalism and expertise of both the NRT members and the local investigators. Our goal was to determine the origin and cause of this fire. The team has determined this fire was an intentionally set fire. We do not have any suspects or suspect information that we can share with you all at this time. Because of the ongoing nature of the investigation, many of the factors that led to this determination will not be released at this time also. ATF is offering a $10,000 reward for information that leads to the arrest and conviction of a suspect or suspects responsible for setting this fire. Someone intentionally set this fire and caused millions of dollars in damages as well as harm to the people and town of Windsor. If anyone has information about what occurred that morning, we encourage them to come forward. So we got an email Saturday evening or afternoon, I think, that was like, hey, there will be a press conference tomorrow. We'll share information about the fire. We didn't really know what to expect, but figured we'd get some kind of info about the cause. That's Cassa Niedringhaus. She's a breaking news reporter here at the Coloradoan, and she's been working, along with reporter Alicia Stice, on this story. She was at the press conference that morning, one week after the fire, to report on any developments. She's also following this further, and she'll tell you a little bit about what's next. And they brought in people from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. They had firefighters there as well, Mm -hmm. and they outlined that they do believe that someone started it, um, but they didn't share any other information. So what's next with that? So now they're putting together what they call an origin and cause report, which they said they have up to 30 days to put together. So the deadline for that, is, by our calculations, is September 12th. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to jump in and clarify that that report actually won't be made public. Anyway, here's CASA again. And so that'll have a more detailed explanation of what they think happened um, and hopefully a suspect. Um, But they didn't want to release anything that would compromise the investigation, so they were pretty tight-lipped about it besides that they think someone caused it. I also asked Casa what kind of response she's seen from the community. On huge stories like this, a lot of people take to our Facebook comment section or reach out to reporters via email or on Twitter. And yeah, Casa said she's heard her fair share of conspiracy theories. But then she added this. I think the overwhelming response I got was just sadness about the mill, um, especially for people who've lived in the area for a long time and were excited to see it get renovated. It was a pretty tough blow to find out that not only did it burn down, but that someone did it on purpose. Hmm. 
Speaking of people who've lived in the area for a long time, I want to end this episode with the first person I always call when starting a Windsor history story. 80-year-old Marge Strabi lives on the edge of Windsor. She was born here, in a tan brick house on 5th Street, Dr. Gromley's old hospital. Strabi, you may have noticed, sounds kind of like strawberry, and because of that, Marge's house is decked out with strawberry things, trinkets, strawberry signs, little strawberries are even painted across her kitchen's tile backsplash. Sitting in that kitchen, amongst the strawberries late last month, she showed me her book, a binder that's burstingly full of newspaper clippings and photographs. She had already flipped to the mill pages for me, papers with names of old mill owners and articles about the mill stuffed into plastic sheet protectors. So what do you remember from your childhood of the mill? Uh, Basically, it was always there, and there always seemed to be a big truck that was either getting unloaded or loaded. But I knew Harold Stoll, whose dad, Pete, started working there in uh, 1918. Wow. So. Marge knows all in Windsor. Her roots go back here, she raised her family here, and she's now the keeper of its history. When she heard the news of the mill fire, she said she was sick over it. Her grandparents had lived really close to the mill off of Main Street when she was growing up. And can I, I can I hear sure. your story about your grandma one more time too? She lived in a, the what little house? It's the green one, little green house, and it just got a new roof. I saw really, and I'm so excited for it. She lived right on Main Street, First Street on the corner, and it has all those uh, that complex behind it uh-huh. on the by the railroad tracks that she would just hate. Marge's grandma would probably hate a lot about today's Windsor then. I do think she'd come around to the drive through Starbucks though. But anyway, like I said before, a lot of things have changed for that little town, especially since Marge was born there. It isn't the kind of town where you can get your grocery shopping done on Main Street anymore, and you don't see trucks coming and going at the mill. It's not what it used to be, and now it isn't much more than a pile of ash and debris. But who knows? Maybe it will be rebuilt again. Third mill's a charm. You just listened to the seventh episode of The Way It Was, a podcast podcast brought to you by me and the Fort Collins Coloradoan. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to The Way It Was through your Apple Podcasts app. And please, please, please leave us a rating and a review so we know how we're doing. A special thank you goes out to Windsor Severance Fire Rescue for setting up a tour of its fire museum and interviews with its firefighters. The museum is super neat and free and open to the public. It's located at 121 North 6th Street in Windsor, and you can stop in on Thursday evenings until 8.30 and Saturdays from noon to 4. Well, thanks again for listening, guys. You can find more information on the podcast at coloradoin.com slash the way it was. So, until next month. Later, history nerds.